0: Well, as I was getting ready um, this week, and preparing to move ahead as we continue through the book of Hebrews. I, I began to slow down, which is probably not a shock to any of you, but um, I did slow down and want to address something as we continue to go forward. Um, into chapter 5 and chapter 6, perhaps most strongly, and we've begun with the argument in chapter 2, the call to paying close attention lest we drift away. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, if you've read it or been reading it or heard it preached, it continues to mount that exhortation and that word of warning to not fall away. And then we get into chapter 6 where some have already been discussing and the concern there in chapter 6 About, so is it true that you can fall away? And so how do we handle the the role of faith? Um, that is, I don't want to erode personal assurance that can take place with nothing but exhortation and fearful warning. Um, So let me preface this morning as we begin to consider the role of faith in your life today, in your life in Christ for perseverance, let's pause this morning and consider our faith. It is not my my purpose, as I put out a brief disclaimer to you, it is not my purpose this morning to say to you that you should never reflect upon or examine the quality or quantity of your own faith. So we're going to move in a direction of considering faith, and I don't want you to think what I am suggesting to you in strengthening your faith, I trust. I am not at that same time, therefore saying, never examine the quality and quantity of your faith. I'm not saying that. We know, I know and you know, we would both recall, were I to move in that direction? Never examine, never take stock. Let's just move through the exhortations of Hebrews and let's just pretend they're kind of not there. That is not what we're doing. We haven't done that to this point and we will not do that. We will handle them faithfully. That's the issue, that we would handle them faithfully. And so there is a need for us to address our faith in the matter of perseverance. We would both recall that the Lord did rebuke the disciples regarding their faith, both the quantity and the quality of their faith, you recall, in doubting, in failure to act, in lapses of courage. We recognize, were I to say, never examine, never examine. We recognize, well, the Lord, indeed, rebuked for the lack of quality and quantity of the faith, even among the disciples. Consider each time approaching the sacrament of the table. We have that portion where clearly Paul says, in procedure of the table, let a man examine himself. Consider, meditate upon the quality and quantity of one's faith. Yet, It is my concern for our church and my stewardship with you through the book of Hebrews that we tend to disproportionately and unwisely misuse and misunderstand the role of self-examination which has only one result, an erosion of personal assurance. Well... I already made one wrong statement. It has two results. An arrogant boasting. Or an erosion of personal assurance. So, we either look at the warnings and find within us the Constitution to be able to handle the warnings. Arrogance we're going to do it, we can do it, this is a life I can live, no problem, it's in the bag, stinks to be everybody around me as they watch me succeed. Or we come over here and our countenance is brought low, personal insurance is in the toilet, and spiritual disaster is in its wake. When we hear things like this, salvation is always by grace through faith. We rejoice. But then kind of not. Because if we don't consider it biblically, we can become a bit concerned about this element of faith. That is, we read through chapter 3. Don't be like our forefathers, the church of Christ in the Old Testament. Don't be like them. They died without obtaining the promises. Why? Because they were not united to them by faith. Their hearts remained in a position of what? Unbelief. So then we then hear it yet again, and here is the rest yet again. Here is the opportunity. It is open to you this morning. Enter by faith. And we think, yes, just by faith, not by works. But faith can be in its own right a new form of works. So it strengthens the arrogant who can do the working. Uh, well, by faith. And then it brings the others to shame and withdrawal because they sense within themselves a lack of that component of faith. So how is it that we can consider the exhortations rightly and encourage one another in perseverance but by waiting and making sure we're thinking of Faith, that critical component, biblically. When it is a bit concerning, the role of faith can be like this. I wrote down a couple of questions for concern in faith. That When, yes, we do rejoice in salvation always by grace through faith, yet it is also at that same time, faith can be the new form of works, like the 40 is the new 30. We just bumped it, Right? But the number still exists. So to, with faith, right, it it, it no longer works, not 30, it's now the 40. Uh, So we didn't do away with works, we just bumped it down the line and call it faith. Questions mount like this within our own hearts and conscience. I hope this morning I'm not alone. Examining questions like this, do I have the right faith? Right? So, so we're exhorting you, don't be in unbelief. Exercise faith. And then the question is, do I have the right faith? Another question I jotted down, it's a point of concern when we hear the joyous declaration of the gospel that the promises are by faith, yet it can create, if we don't think biblically about faith, we can ask ourselves, do I have enough faith? You ever been there? Maybe you ask it in a different way, like, did I really mean it? Did I say it right? Did I believe enough? Because again, we put faith in a category of works, we just call it faith. The result from that is yet another question I jotted down. What if I run out of faith? What if I run out? So h- how much do I have now? Did I have enough to make it count? And will I keep that amount my entire life? Because we hear the words of exhortation from Hebrews, don't be an unbelief. They died because of unbelief. Let us strive to enter that rest by faith. Well, I am entering today because it seems like, you know, I've got some good vigor of faith right now. Will it always maintain? Will I always have enough? The final question I jotted down that can make this exhortation to believe the promises, to lay hold of them by faith, a bit concerning Can come out this way. Did I exercise the right faith in the right way? Kind of said that already. A song that captures this well. I think we heard it this morning uh, over the iPad, uh, the music, however, we're channeling the music. I think we heard it this morning uh, there, perhaps during fellowship time. But the lyrics go like this, and it captures this idea, I think, that each one of us have been at or are at currently right now, or will be in the future, if we cannot wrap our minds around the biblical definition of faith. The song begins like this, sometimes I believe all the lies, so I can do the things I should despise. This is one's personal journey. And every day I am swayed by whatever is on my mind. Okay, so here is the, the, the life's journey, right? And, and I kind of want to go this route, and I kind of want to go that route, and I sense the pull in this direction, uh, and, and I'm persuaded, and, I, and then I'm battling. And then I hear, uh, verse 2, it all depends on my faith. Right? Believe. But listen to this person's resolve. So, I'm feeling precarious. The only problem I have with these mysteries is they're so mysterious. The role of perseverance and faith. So then, I think this is where we tend to go. And like a consumer, I'm thinking, if I could just get a bit more, more than my 15 minutes of faith, then I'd be secure. I just, that's how I have to think. If it, if it all depends on me in my faith, in the exhortations of Hebrews 3, 4, 5, 6, exhort me to believe, I'm feeling a bit precarious. So, maybe I just need more. So then I think like a consumer regarding my faith. This is what I hope to push us beyond. By considering this morning two ways in which Scripture defines faith and thereby strengthens personal assurance. Again, I am not in any way suggesting that there is a faith that is non-active that just lays on Jesus' lap so to speak faith seeks faith acts faith pursues so I am not recommending this morning that we all just like you know get up out of our chair and lay on the floor to be found faithful faith acts it examines Yet, its purpose is not the erosion of personal assurance, but strength that we have then found to possess faith. So I want to speak of two ways, as I said, two ways in which Scripture defines faith, and thereby, a scriptural definition, we might have personal assurance of our faith. Number one, out of my two ways, this was four, and I've chopped it down to two, so maybe at some point we'll do part two. But for now, uh, we began, and then we just worked way. Two ways in which Scripture defines faith. Number one, faith is a gift, not a virtue. We have to get this. We have to get this. Faith is a gift and not a virtue lest we want to continue to ask ourselves forever, do I have enough? Do I have the right quality? Did I exercise it the right way at the right time? We must begin with number one. Faith is a gift, not a virtue. What do I mean by gift? If I was to give you a raw definition that is at present giving time, you would be able to put this together as all of us are doing various forms of shopping, about gifts and gift giving. So what do I mean by gift? A basic definition of gift is this. It is a thing given willingly without payment. Unless you have a weird family and you're all paying each other back somehow. (laughs) The rest of us get it. The idea is with a gift, you are giving it to a person willingly, without need of payment. It is quite simply a present Right? Again, unless you're weird, but the rest of us grasp present, which is never mind. Whereas, in contrast to gift, when I say faith is a gift, a present, not a virtue, I am saying it is not a virtue, a virtue being a behavior showing high moral standards. It's not that. It's not that. Faith is not a behavior showing high moral standards. It ends, the definition of virtue ends this way. A worthiness. These are the two ways in which we can view faith. Perhaps there's more. Perhaps you think of it a bit differently. But consider it in its contrast. Gift to virtue. By saying that faith is a gift, I am saying that faith, your faith, faith that we are exhorted to exercise is a merciful present given to us by a merciful and benevolent God. That's what it is. It's a present without payment. It's not the new 40 or the new 30. Is that a new form of works? We're not just moving it on down the line. Putting it in a new convenient time. It's not a new form of works. It is a present given to you. Without payment. It is not, therefore, if it is a gift, which I will consider with you biblically just for a few moments. If it is, not a, if it is a gift... It, therefore, cannot be a virtue. This eliminates that. A virtue being a standard of worthiness. Where would we get that standard of worthiness anyway? Well, many would say by virtue of being alive. We're born... (laughs) And all of us have, even if it be by the Creator Himself, we all possess some layer of worthiness. Therefore, putting faith in the category of virtue. Now, that is precarious. So when one is exhorted to exercise faith in Christ, indeed, it does hold. Rest upon you. And continuing therein holy rests upon you. Because it just lies dormant. And what's given by fact of being alive. Therefore, you better get it right. And in the installment. But well, we recognize biblically it is not a worthiness, but a gift. We begin, we can begin putting down the foundation of assurance, it doesn't rest in me. The anchor of the soul isn't reciprocal back into me, that I be my own anchor, and I be my own assurance we find it rests in another. Because faith is a gift. I'm going to mess that up somewhere and confuse you. I'm going to call it a virtue. I know it. Let's flesh this out a little bit biblically, uh, considering uh, the question as we build then from this idea of gift in contrast to virtue. How do we know? Perhaps you're even asking this question. How do you know, or how do we together know for sure that faith is a gift And not a virtue. How do we know that? We've stated it up front. We've defined it. But how do we know it? As a congregation of Christians, we require, right, the text of Scripture. So if I gave you two texts just briefly, and uh, let's take a look at the first one as we consider how indeed we see scriptural testimony to be that faith is a gift, not a virtue, in order that we might have the soul's assurance be hidden in Christ. The first text comes out of our uh, book that we're working on right now already, and we'll come back to the text that uh, Drew read for us as we build in the second portion. But the first portion, if you'll turn to Hebrews 12, just to consider how do we know that faith is a gift and not a virtue? How do we know it biblically? We'll look at Hebrews 12, Many of you, I'm sure, have read this and been encouraged and strengthened by it, and I think that's what we'll be yet again, encouraged and strengthened by this wonderful text that does anchor the soul in assurance. Let me begin with verse 1, but we're going to really center and look at verse 2. Therefore, Hebrews 12:1. therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that's where, in chapter 11, we'll see the role of faith that's active and seeking and sacrificial. But here, as he builds on that testimony of active faith, he says, Let us also, exhorting us, lay aside every way and sin which clings so closely, and let us run just like they did, just like the, the people who were sawn in half. Let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us here's the exhortation of faith looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross you see his his faith was looking forward to the promise of joy thus he endured the cross he is the author of our faith despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here, I just want to draw your attention to let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we're considering faith as a gift, there are two things here about Jesus in relationship to our faith that we possess, each one of us as Christians. This is the bedrock of our assurance in hearing the exhortations wisely. And that is, as we consider faith and we look To Jesus, we see, number one, he is the source of our faith. He is the source, the origin. This is the language of authorship. The text here says he is the author of our faith. What does that mean in terms of him being you, right now, your source of believing? Uh, Jesus has been raised, he is at the right hand of the Father, and he is the source of your believing this very hour. He is the source. you is that a virtue it's a gift he is the source he is the author of your faith no longer do you consider the gospel or what i'm saying up here i might be foolish you don't consider the text foolish why not why don't you think it to be foolish like those who are perishing why not because you're not perishing Why not? Because Jesus gifted you with faith to hear. That's why. Not because you took the one virtue you had when you were born of your parents and rightly invested it, but because Jesus, as the author and source of your believing, Sovereignly and graciously dispensed of it to you as a present through the proclamation of the gospel. How will they believe if they don't hear? For faith comes through hearing, it is through the message of the gospel. The source of faith gives it to the children through the gospel, by the power of the Spirit. He is, therefore, the author of our faith. So I can exhort you, run with endurance the race that is set before you. How? It all depends on me. Looking to Jesus. in faith. Faith's first glance is it Jesus and its continued gaze. Is it Jesus? It is a gift, not a virtue. So it is the second portion of this small little statement that is theologically packed for us, that he exhorts us, let your eyes of faith fix upon Jesus, the author of that very same faith, and he is the perfecter therefore of that very same faith, so he is number one, it's source, and he is number two, it's surety, that is the language of perfection, the substitute, the guarantee of all good gifts. He is the perfecter of our faith. That means He is its surety or perfecter. So He calls. He justifies. He also keeps. Where is your assurance? Where is it, believer? Where is your assurance this hour you believe? It is in Jesus who keeps. It is he who called, justified. It is also, as perfecter, he who keeps, sanctifies, and will glorify, just as he promised in Romans 8. That is where my faith rests. That I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. And he who called me will keep me. The way he keeps me is by warning me. The Warnings serve the promises to the children. They don't create fear and anxiety and an erosion of assurance. They serve the children. For my faith is not a virtue, but it is a gift, and he who gave it surely will keep it. The second text of how we know faith to be a gift and begin that baseline level of assurance that it is a gift and not a virtue. This text, Romans three twenty four, And uh, I'll just read it for you there. Another text you'd consider, and many of you I'm sure have considered as you find strength in your growth in Christ, you turn to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it clearly spells out yet again the mercy of God to you has come by faith and that faith is a gift unto you Ephesians chapter 2 but the text i just here cite also is Romans 3 verse 24 Paul says being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption which is in Christ Jesus consider the logic of this passage just briefly with me i hope not to spin your mind or head around but consider the basic logic of this passage To be justified as a gift requires faith in exercising that you would then be justified. Faith, all that belongs to justification, is a gift. It is a gift, not a virtue. If justification is a gift, how is one justified? By faith. Faith belonging to justification is a gift, not a virtue. My anchor holds within the veil, my anchor holds in the sun who gave himself up for me. There is my soul strength, not internal conscience examination, but in he who died and has been raised, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the bedrock of assurance. Faith as a gift. heavenly benevolence. And I, an unworthy recipient. So think about the assurance. If I be unworthy in the original reception, will I only keep it by making myself more worthy? <laughs> No. It's not like he gave it as a gift to an unworthy servant and then now demands, now perform yourself to be worthy and thereby I'll let you keep my faith I gave you. He's the author. Yes, unworthy servant. Oh, wait, and the perfecter, he who keeps all that he has called. Faith is a gift, not a virtue. To summarize that it is a gift at uh, present giving time, I came up with a very neat little 3P uh, system. Okay, So I have 3Ps right here that will finally define uh, faith as a gift. I have three of them uh, here as we summarize the idea of faith as a gift, not a virtue. Number one Faith was purchased by Christ on the cross. Did you sing that this morning? Did you notice that as we we're singing? It's. Um, um, now it's fleeing my mind. I'm just losing. Um, yes. At any rate, there's a lyric in one of the songs we sang this morning that spells this out so clearly that I can't recall. But the idea is that he paid the penalty. I think we may even said this. He paid the penalty for all my sin. Somewhere in there. Either way, that's true. Okay? <laughs> if you're only hearing it now for the first time. And not in the song. Um, But do you, believer, and I use that term here right now as in one who believes, believer. Do you unite that to the fact that you are a believer? And the fact that, right, so he paid for all my sin, including unbelief. You believe because he paid for your unbelief. And that gift that was purchased, I don't know my other P, if it's presented or not, but is presented to the children. He died my soul to save. So I believe because he died for my unbelief. That is number 1 faith is purchased. On the cross. Secondly, oh, I didn't say presented, but it is secondly provided by the spirit. Faith is provided by the spirit. And how is it that the faith uh, that the spirit then takes that purchase and provides it to the children, to those of the people of God? How is it he provides it through the preaching of the gospel? How shall they believe? How will they? That which is purchased, how will it be provided? Faith comes through hearing. So it is provided, that which is purchased is provided to the children through the preaching of the gospel by the power of the Spirit, which gives way to missions. None of this is like, oh, okay, it's automatic. The Bible never declares it automatic it comes through means of preaching. So it gives way to missions, but it gives you a real confidence feel about the mission, doesn't it? So thirdly, it is gift as a present is three. It is promised with permanence. Hebrews 6, if you turn there, that it will be indeed permanent. As we have looked considered, as I briefly alluded to Romans 8, but look with me here out of Hebrews 6, and then we'll join back to our passage Um, uh, we began in this morning. But Hebrews 6, it is guaranteed, or that is, I want to stick with the P formulation there, that is promised with permanence, or to be permanent uh, as a saving gift. If you're there in Romans 6, here is the movement of faith. Verse 13, chapter 6 of Hebrews, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, that is God making covenant, verse 14 saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly the bedrock of assurance. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which, by the way, It is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Look who's there. Jesus, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, I have become a high priest, how long? Forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Therein lies your confidence and assurance in Jesus. Consider with me the next portion here as we move along in our time this morning. Is Secondly, I said there were two. I want to, uh, you know, not keep you, but remain steadfast on my commitments to you, right? Uh, is that there's two things of faith. Secondly, faith is, and this builds on number one, it is not a virtue, but a gift. But secondly, faith is virtuous. Faith is virtuous because of its object who is Christ the Lord. Secondly, faith is virtuous. Not to be confused with a virtue that each man has by virtue of being alive, but faith as a gift is virtuous because of its object, who is Christ the Lord. Look with me briefly how we see this in our text this morning where we began quickly here in Hebrews chapter 3. Consider each of these texts. Hebrews 3, that leads us into Hebrews 4, that faith is a gift and not a virtue, yet it is virtue us because of its object, who is Christ the Lord. This is the direction of our faith. Chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, that is, the believing community, consider Jesus. Right? And that, that is a the theme. Look to Jesus. Or uh, Hebrews 12, um, fix your eyes on him. Right? This is a call to act by faith. To consider Jesus by faith, the apostle and high priest of our confession, drop down to verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed, look there, we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Look at verse 14, the direction of our faith yet again, for we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Each one of these speaks of the direction of our faith. And it makes it very clear that faith in the exhortation, faith does not look into self. Do you see anywhere in there where we're exhorted, that we'll make it to the end as long as we're continuously misappropriating and examining our conscience? Faith isn't exhorted to look in. It is exhorted to look out. Faith is not primarily introspective. That's why I say, I'm not saying never. It is not primarily introspective. Rather, it looks out and away to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is its object. That's the concern, that when we hear the exhortation of faith, we tend to look inward to conscience for affirmation or assurance rather than outward and unto Christ. And otherwise, we could, In other words, we could summarize it this way. A weak faith... Consider this with me. A weak faith clings to a strong Lord. It is virtuous because of its object. A weak faith. Well, you're only kind of saved. No, 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 no. Well, you only have this much. No. Even if I have this much? Look at Christ, at whom I have placed it. He, the object, makes it virtuous. Not the amount. The object. The call to hold fast, as he repeats... The call to hold fast is not a call to crunch the numbers. Did you guys remember in the election season, regardless of who you voted for and how you voted, do you remember uh, the updates like every single day for like two years while he was running for president and we were like battling it out on television, that every single day there were new polls and almost none of them turned out to be accurate? Do, Do you remember? I mean, whole personal industries that make a living on forecasting political futures. The, the, the whole brand is, like, ruined, isn't it? I mean, do you really care if Karl Rove guarantees something? At this point, you're kind of like, well, you know, I mean, you had everybody. This guy winning in by, like, you know, 800%. It didn't work out that way. Otherwise, it actually, it flipped over. And then you turn to this channel, and you have to say, okay, right. That's the nature of polling. And the call to hold fast Is not a call to crunch the numbers. Take an internal poll. Do I have the right faith? Do I have the right percentage? Am I feeling the right way? Did I say it in the right tone? Did I have both eyes closed? It isn't a call to crunch the numbers. And look inside. See if you're holding on. It's to look away is to look to Christ. Find yourself in Him as being held on to. The call to hold fast is to consider Jesus, who He is and what He has done. I summarize it to you this way. One author writes, quote, a weak faith Please please get this wherever you're at this morning. A weak faith is a true faith as precious though not as great as strong faith. Well then how is it precious? It has the same holy spirit as the author. and it has the same gospel instrument as its means and it has the same risen lord as its object for it is not the strength of our faith that saves but the truth of our faith it is not the weakness of our faith that condemns but the want of faith that condemns. As I conclude with you, faith is a gift from he who is its source. And it is made virtuous. That is, it is made worthy. It is made righteous. It is made the standard by he who is its object. I hope you are able, as you consider Jesus by faith, you will embrace the comfort that is afforded you and the consideration of faith as a gift. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would strengthen each of us to not crunch the numbers, take an internal pull of ourselves and wonder about how much we do this and how much we do that. Are we really this or, or are we really that? But recognize that that is an open door to satanic attack and the erosion of our assurance. For no internal pull will prove ourselves but only Christ who has been raised. Where there is weak faith this morning, I pray that you will strengthen it through the preaching of your word. For those with a strong faith, let them also be humble. For it is not they who have it, but the gift that has been provided by a loving and benevolent God. So, Lord, let us all with one voice rejoice in you. For all things, Alpha and Omega, author and perfector of our faith. Christ's name who has been raised, we